You're listening to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Ampliance, an API-first headless CMS and DAM. We've partnered with Ampliance in 2022 to bring their wealth of industry experience to you and to gain a fresh perspective on e-commerce technology and CX. Today, you've got the misfortune of listening to me, James Gert, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. How are you, mate? Good. Yeah, better start to this one. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, for the benefit of our listeners, we had to edit out the bit where Paul was on mute doing his introduction. Um, so that's a good start to the episode. Yeah, we're all good. So welcome back to our regular listeners. Thanks, as always, for, for joining us. And a warm welcome to if you are listening for the first time. We hope you won't be disappointed. Do subscribe to get episode alerts. We release a new episode every week. And we'd love a like on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, etc. to satisfy our fragile egos. So let's set up today's episode and introduce our guest. We're talking about email marketing for e-commerce, you know, trends, advice, tools for 2022. Key things we're going to cover, key trends in email marketing, um, maintaining good quality email lists, smart ways to use marketing automation, and advice when selecting marketing tech. So let's welcome our wonderful guests. So Marit and Sarah, good good morning. Uh, no, it's good afternoon, actually. Now, how Good are afternoon you? to you. Hello. Hi, James. Hi, Paul. Um, thanks for joining us. Right, so you are both highly experienced digital marketers and you run your own email podcast, which uh, everyone listening, check out. It's brilliant. I've learned loads already from it. I know they've got a lot of um, good content planned. So um, before we ask you loads of annoying questions, could mm-hmm. you both introduce yourselves to our listeners? <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? And then tell us a bit about the podcast. Who wants to go first? Sarah looks like she wants to go first. I can go first. Yeah, sure. Um, Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm one half of Inbox Heroes. That's our podcast. And uh, I've been in digital marketing not for that long, 2017, uh, but sort of found my tribe and since then sort of really enjoyed digital marketing and digital strategy, um, but with a specification on email marketing and sort of community building and all the goodness. Hello, I'm going to jump in. My name is Marette. I am the other half of Inbox Heroes. Uh, Yeah, Inbox Heroes is basically where Sarah and I go uh, for little bite-sized episodes where we go go and dive into a certain topic about email marketing. I myself, uh, I've been self-employed for a few years now and have kind of moved from quite broad work where it's um, I work online uh, to more what I personally describe as digital communication. So how you converse with your customers, with your database through email, automation, and maybe a little bit of SEO still. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's funny doing this with another podcast duo. Um, I'll ask first question. So I guess high level question to start with, what are the biggest trends in email marketing at the moment? And uh, yeah, what's changing this year? You start nice. off, Marat. All right. I'll give it a go. Um, I think one of the key trends, maybe giving it a name makes it a trend, but I definitely feel like um we have, as a community, once again come to, to the conclusion that marketing is about the customer. It is something that every few years, it seems like as an industry, we realize that once again. And at the moment, it's really manifesting itself in a way of community building. Um, we see that that is really coming to the forefront. It is supported by a lot that we see happening both on uh, Twitter and other social platforms, as well as in inboxes. You know, as an example, authors who really build up a conversation with their audience rather than just pushing out content. And 
uh, owners of DTC businesses who really authentically share thoughts and activities with their followers. Um, perfect. Um, so yeah, thank you. For me, I guess uh, one of the other big things will be the user impact. Um, so there's a few things that impact users beyond anything. And one of them is actually one of my pet peeves, uh, which is not what this question is about, but I'm going to shoehorn it in. Um, so the impact of dark mode best practice, I think, is something the industry at large needs to work on because there is not a general way of how to solve the issues where user uses dark mode on the mobile phone, for example, we all do it, I do it, um, it breaks a lot of templates and it leads to a less than um, ideal um, user experience. But obviously then you've got people who get that they just click on the web link and they see the full email, but that's not everybody. Not everybody is a savvy user and we can't build emails for savvy users. And that leads me straight into my utmost pet peeve. So I, I, I'm going to suggest a trend, right? I'm going to suggest as a trend for this year, kill off Im image only emails, just kill them off. Stop they're, it. They're the worst thing. They're not accessible, but it basically ends up on the user, uh, or on the user's smartphone or in their inbox. It's just broken images. If they haven't, if they haven't enabled image images in emails. It looks horrendous. It has got no place. And in terms of screen readers, etc., it's an absolute nightmare. So let's just kill that off. Excellent. I like that unambiguous <laughs> advice. Um, kill the image. I mean, the same advice carries through into, into like um, uh, website design as well, like text and stuff embedded in images and uh, completely inaccessible. So yeah, I like that. That's good starting points. Got a very, um, oh, sorry, Paul, I've just hijacked your question. So I'm going to nick your question, then you can do mine. I've got a very specific question because I'm an iPhone user, you know, mm. um, curse me all they like. I don't own near Androids. And iOS um, changes have had a, an impact on email marketing. And I know a few clients who are literally 70%, 80% of their audience are opening emails on iOS. What, what is the key iOS change that's happened recently? And what, what, what's the impact? What, can e what should e-commerce teams be thinking about? Okay, I'll take that one. I'm also yeah. in, the, in the iPhone uh, um, sort of era uh, or side, whatever. I don't think it's a side. It's just different bubbles, isn't it, of users. Um, so the big change was that, or is, if they continue to roll out more changes like this, is that um, Apple enables a user to opt into tracking. So um, for that happens cross-platform, by the way, not just email. If the first time you fire up a social network, for example, it will or any app, it will have a pop-up that says, hey, this app is trying to track you. Do you want to be tracked or do you not want to be tracked? Really nice, unambiguous, this is your choice. And they can then opt in or opt out. Love that. Marketers hate it. So half of me is like, I'm loving it. And half of me is like, uh, yeah, no, that's creating issues. It then went further and it went into affecting email marketing, whereby when people now use Apple Mail, um, the app that is native to iOS, um, they can opt to not be tracked at all, um, which I, funnily enough, have done as an email marketer, because um, I find it very interesting. So when I now test stuff, I test it from my iOS device as well. And I just, it's very sad, but I like, I like those types of things. Um, but what it does is that uh, marketers cannot for sure say whether a user has clicked on something or even opened the email. So um, uh, Apple sends wrong data in. 
So what you now find is that a lot of platforms now say untrackable opens, untrackable clicks. You know, there's X amount of users that we can't say whether or not they did something. And that's really frustrating. And we have an episode on this actually as well. Um, <laughs> uh, but for me, uh, what can e-commerce teams do about it? Um, turn to real KPIs and not vanity metrics. So don't think about list size. Don't think about how many people open, but think about how many people click through. Because once they land on your website, your tracking will catch them again. Um, there's no reason for that not to happen unless they have also opted out of that one, in which case... That is just really unfortunate. <laughs> but um, the hooray for data privacy and users means that marketers just have to pivot their thinking a little bit. Um, so um, just have a look at what KPIs you usually report on and maybe have a look at how you can bring that in. Um, can I just add from a really practical point of view there is um, start using UTM tags in your emails because then there is no ambiguity about where this person came from when they land on your website on the reporting platform that you use, like Google Analytics. Absolutely. I second that. UTM tags should be on everything. Great. Um, and then I guess the next question. So you, this is a really uh, interesting one because I feel like people have, everyone has different approaches and views on this. So in terms of maintaining a really high quality engaged email database, what is your view on data cleansing and how you should handle maybe disengaged users and how um, you should ensure that essentially you're, you're only really focusing on people that are likely to um, interact with you as a brand? Sure. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on that one because lists and, uh, and data quality is, uh, is my forte. I think the main thing to keep in mind here is that people who are actively opting in, you know, as of 2018, we have the GDPR law, people have to opt in. That is a positive thing. It is people really saying, yes, we want to receive your emails. And so it is not necessarily a negative thing to clean clean your database uh, and maybe have fewer people to talk to. Because, well, if people don't want to hear from you, <laughs> why are you talking to them? <laughs> In a very simple way, there's, you know, there is, um, of course, such a thing as, uh, I guess, persuasion. Uh, so if people see you, then you might be more in the back of their mind. But if you make it very hard and you keep pushing into people's inbox, maybe even after they've unsubscribed, if you're very naughty, then you're li literally talking to people that don't want to hear from you at this moment in time. Um so there's several things that you could do here, uh, whether that is, um, you know, making sure that you have a clear welcome flow to set expectations as to what people can expect when they subscribe to you. Actually, um, great preference centers like we've spoken about before, um, giving people options to receive either at a frequency that's interesting to them or about topics that are interesting to them, all gives essentially the power to your user, to your potential buyer to keep talking and keep listening to you, but in a way that suits them. Now, there's loads of other things that you can implement to sort of really maintain that engagement 
whether that is making sure that you, you know, have a post-purchase workflow, uh, that you have re-engagement offers uh, for people who haven't purchased or haven't engaged with your emails for a while. There's lots of things that you can do. One of my big things is not just to use Black Friday as an excuse to send an email. It's about constant communication and not just, oh my goodness, it's Black Friday next week. There needs to be an email campaign going out. You are not going to reach the KPIs you want to reach if you're only, you know, using it once or twice a year. Email is not a one-off. And I think that's sort of, I mean, that's basically what Marat said in much better detail. But um, yeah, don't just rely on big events to send emails, uh, but sort of really harness that um, that community and that uh, audience that you have already got and, cap- uh, and captured. Um, so I have a sub-question. Um, so you just... <laughs> And, and this is uh, based on what you just said around frequency. And I feel that like our average client at the moment, um, one is like increasing the amount of triggered campaigns they've got, you know, post-purchase, there's a lot more stuff happening. There's like encouragements to refer a friend, you know, there's uh, mm-hmm. encouragements to create an account so that someone could be part of a loyalty program, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. This activity. Um, you've then got continued automation and you've got broadcast activity. Um, mm-hmm. What what do you think like a good frequency looks like nowadays? Because I personally purchased from a client the other day and just felt it was really like invasive, the amount of emails that I got. <laughs> um, and it was too much. Um, and, you know, I've yeah. already got an email newsletter. So there's every mm. chance I could get 10 emails in the first <laughs> weeks. Um, so what is that? What is like a good level look like? Can I? Or are you, you going to? You go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> um, it depends on your audience. <laughs> I knew she would say that. Yeah, you have to have the it depends klaxon in an e-commerce episode. Absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> um, it it does depend. Uh, I'm working with a with a client at the moment who have seen a massive drop off in subscribers on their email on their newsletter, and they are doing uh, an industry newsletter for their for their industry, and they are sending out they. I think a year ago they were sending out a newsletter. So not like a, a small bite size, like a proper newsletter with lots of links to click and, and so on. They used to, about a year ago, do that daily. Daily, I know. Um, and they have now reduced it to three times a week. I'm trying to encourage them to give subscribers frequency options and to actually alert them to it. What you're seeing more and more happening is things like in the footer, people just being really open and saying, if you don't want to hear from me as much, or if you don't want to hear from me um, with regards to this topic, click here so that you can tell us what you want to hear about. And some people really enjoy it. Some people love, especially... In a time of, uh, you know, DTC, direct to consumer, we have more and more digitally native businesses um, who build their brand, who build their business on personality, on having a conversation. Um, it it is something that some people enjoy. I don't know, like I don't have research to back this up. It might be, for example, uh, digitally native younger people. I sound so old just saying that out loud. Um, who you know enjoy having that whole experience and feeling really involved, and making sure that uh, when they have purchased, they get several emails before they receive the item, for example. But there needs to be a way in which people can opt out of those if they are not interested. 
That makes sense. Yeah, I think it's, um, sorry, Sarah, were you going to add to that? Um, I was just going to say, make sure that you, um, all of the different triggers you have are actually mapped in the user story. Um, because as you just described, as a, a newsletter um, recipient, there should actually be um, some stuff that exempts you from stuff. I think people are really quick to include people in emails, but um, email sending platforms also have the option to exempt people based on behavior. So let's make use of that. Great. And then um, one of my favorite questions next, um, and I think this is a really interesting one because, again, everyone has different views and it's a really valuable thing to try and optimize. And I think dependent on what level of like legal influence and everything else you talk to, it, the response will differ. But what is your view on legitimate interest? So I would say we have some clients that essentially, and this is uh, with a focus on the checkout. So we have some clients that have an unticked uh, opt-in box. They probably average 30% subscription rate. We've got them uh, clients that do pre-ticked, which I believe is kind of the better route, which is gray. You've then got some clients that do opt-out, which is questionable. And again, that's another one which is interesting. And then we have some clients opt everyone in and claim legitimate interest, and they're quite happy taking a risk. What is your view on optimal versus... Ooh, Sarah and I actually had quite an extensive chat about this this Ooh. week. But I'm gonna, Sarah, you go for it. I can see you. <laughs> Um, I have to say you need to be completely transparent. Um, gray areas, um, are fine, but they're not going to give you results because once again, you're going to flood your email list with thousands of contacts that don't really want to hear from you. So it's great if you can go to your manager and say, we have got 10,000 subscribers. That doesn't actually tell you anything. It's again, vanity metrics. And from the user, um, you know, we talked earlier about how Apple is ensuring that users get a choice. And I think that is something that all platforms should really take seriously because people are being flooded. And if you're spending money on people who don't want to hear from you, that affects your ROI and surely makes no sense. And there are naughty ones out there that just subscribe you to stuff or you can't complete purchase without agreeing to marketing preferences. And every time that happens, I maybe buy once from them because um, I need something, but you can be sure as hell that I am unsubscribing as soon as an email hits and I'm never buying from them again. Is that a risk worth taking? I do think it's a really interesting one because um, I've I've literally had clients on both sides of the fence. And I, uh, some of the biggest brands in the world um, opt everyone in, uh, including like just UK brands. And I've got a client in particular that has done quite a lot of analysis around this and they really benefit financially um, from opting everyone in. But I do completely see your point as well. And um, obviously it's probably not good practice um, or it isn't good practice, I guess. But yeah, is I, it, think it, it's, I think it is a balance between uh, revenue and user experience. And it's easy for us to say, right? We love email. We're interested. Like we talk about it. We pay attention to it. Um, but I think in the longer term, um, although I appreciate what you're saying, and I have seen this before with other clients where I have tried to tell them, you should segment your audiences if you're going to send a very specific email about a very specific category of products that you sell. Um, and they say, 
yeah, but if I send it to everyone in my database, my revenue for that email will be higher, which is true, but also the number of unsubscribes is higher. And overall, even people that don't unsubscribe, you do get a thing uh, like email fatigue. And what you will get is people seeing your emails and going, oh, them again. I think this is such an important point because I have the same pool with clients, depending on where the compliance decision is made, whether they've got a really tight internal legal counsel, like worked with big brands like Sage, where it's, you know, they they are a, a, a FTSE 25 company. They they can't mess around versus others who go, well, we can get away with this. And then they look purely at yeah, revenue per email. What they don't um, track is opt out to look at do have we have we have we done a holdout test for a cell that compares those who had to be opted in versus those who didn't? And is the long-term lifetime value worse if we force them into it, like you were saying, Sarah? And unless you measure it accurately at that level, you'll always get a false read because up front you might get that incremental revenue. Um, absolutely. And I agree with that. That test should be there. You know, we're not saying that we know everything, but we know best practice. And we've also, you know, we, we, we are there in between the users and the revenue making parts of the business as marketing. And we have to sort of jump through hoops and sort stuff, but still keep um, sort of best practice and ethics in mind. Um, one thing I would add is when it goes wrong, it really goes wrong. And we're talking about massive issues internally. I've had clients who, as a result of um, complaints, um, right, had to have now the issue that they can't get any extra data acquisition past their DPO because it went wrong so badly. So um, there is there is risks there and the risks can be seen long-term and they are severe internally even. You know, if if it's fine if if you want to be in the gray area, but if it goes wrong, there are repercussions internally where the DPO might say, nope, you can't ha- know uh, the gender about the person. You can't, you, you're not even allowed to ask. Um, there is lots of things. That was just an example for another you know, field that might be unnecessary, but might be wanted. Um, so I would be just really cautious. Um, and at the end of the day, um, if, if ethically something is not quite right, I think we need to ask ourselves as users, how would we feel about this? And then just take sort of from that what we want to take from it. Yeah, and then finally, just to, to round that off from a practical point of view, higher unsubscribe rates also means that you end up uh, for your whole email sending platform to be more likely to end up in spam and uh, you will be flagged up more often by uh, by inboxes and so on, meaning that, again, it will have a negative impact on your performance in the future. Cool. Um, I've got moving this question on to technology and marketing automation now, because um, this is an area I see a lot of clients investing in tools, but not necessarily knowing how to use them or the best way to use them, and then ending up just doing very default generic stuff. So I'd love to hear, first of all, how do you see technology evolving for email marketing automation? Like what, what tools and new features have you both been excited by over the last 12 or so months? Um, I'm going to take the first one, I think. Um, so easier to use email builders uh, are a big thing. Um, they have come in, but some brands have fallen really short of them. Um, one of the features that I think I would look out to uh, for when I'm choosing a new tool is making a wish list. So specifically for an email builder, 
On high on that list is having an undo button, which you might think that's not a big deal. That should be everywhere because, you know, mistakes happen. Um, some of the most mainstream brands do not achieve this very low bar of an undo button for email marketers. Email marketers in the end have to actually rebuild whole email segments or whole emails because of a mistake. Um, yeah, that's my little rant about that. <laughs> but yeah, no, there is some really exciting stuff happening around email builders. And the one thing I would look out for is, as I said, the, the undo button, amazing feature. Cool. So, Marat, how about you? How have you seen the marketing automation tools evolving? You know, tools and features that that are interesting, and useful for you and your clients. Yeah. So it's quite similar, really, uh, to what Sarah said. But it's it's becoming, you know, so much easier. It's becoming so much easier to get started uh, on an email sending platform. It's getting so much easier to get access to things like automation you know it is what we're seeing now it's those email sending platforms that don't offer automation or that make it really clunky or that make it hard to integrate with other platforms those are the the email sending providers that are now taking a back seat um things like uh medium for blogs but also substack for emails gives you a really good example more so from a, a personal or a personal brand point of view more so than e-commerce i suppose but people are looking for clean and easy ways to create their emails and get them sent out and marketing automation for e-commerce let's drill into that a bit more it's such a massive topic and some of the struggles I've seen with clients over the years is, is they just don't know where to start. They're like, oh, my God, segmentation, automation, flows, lifestyle, oh, my God, what do I do? What is your advice as email marketers? What Where should e-commerce teams focus? What types of basics campaigns work well and should be in place? Um, I'm going to say um, re-engagements for workflows. So if people have fallen off your radar a bit, they've not opened up any of your newsletters or other e-shots, um, put in a really simple re-engagement workflow just to keep your email list clean. That would be one of my keys. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's a really good one. I think one that I keep having in my mind is, um, you know, if we want to make sure that people, uh, particularly for people who are getting started, right? They've got their shop set up. They want to start fresh. Maybe they have got a database from a uh, previous ventures and so on but if you're starting fresh start start sending small so if you um haven't done email before it is really easy set up set up a, a platform for your business integrate it with your website but send the first ca campaigns in small batches and one that i would highly recommend especially for new email sending platforms is get um, your order confirmation automation set up as one of the first ones. What we're trying to do when uh, when we have a new, sorry, a new account like that is making sure that we tell uh, inboxes that our emails are safe. They're safe to receive. We want them to miss the spam folder. We want them to get straight into the inbox and having things like a purchase confirmation is the type of email that will be opened uh, and that will really help warm up uh, your email sending domain as a as a safe and a secure one. Yeah, I think that's Sarah. Come back to your point about 
um, the uh, reactivation stuff, if people have gone quiet or stopped doing that. I'd love to find out what, what tactically, what works, because I've seen ones where they're passive aggressive. Why aren't you coming to our website? It's like, oh, sod off. Um, uh, versus a massive survey of we'd like to ask you 30 questions about why you're not doing stuff. And obviously those are extremes, but what, what in your experience works gets people to either respond or whether that's we don't want it or, oh God, actually, yeah, yeah, I did want to come back. So <laughs> I have to, and now it's my turn to uh, to use the klaxon of it depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so basically for re-engagement, um, some things will be variable, okay? So this depends on your brand. Um, some purchases are higher than others. So if you sell a high value product, you won't have as many repeat purchases. If you have a subscription platform for something, for example, Razor subscriptions are really po- uh, um, uh, en vogue at the moment and um, other, other subscriptions like that, you'll see a higher turnover in terms of purchases and activity. So be mindful of that first of all. Um, There's a real difference between B2B and B2C. So B2B have longer re-engagement periods, really, because um, activity is not necessarily measured that much by click-throughs, but by inquiries and lots of other measurements. Um, So for a B2B brand, uh, what I would say is you look probably at a year, like 10 to 12 newsletters, if they've not opened any of them, um, I would send them not (laughs) one of your examples, like, why haven't you come to us? But just say, um, hey there, um, we've missed you type of conversation. Um, Do we send too many emails? You know, this whole thing around the preference center would be my first touch point for re-engagement. You know, you've not been, you've not been opening our emails. We've noticed that. Um, you can't even tell them that. Honestly, they know that, that, that you track them. And you're just like, we just want to know why. Um, and could you let us know by changing your preferences? You know, we've got this many things to do. This is what our newsletter is about. Like, represent yourself. You will have moved on in a year's time. They, they When they first, you know, last opened your newsletter to now you want them to open your newsletter now. And newsletters move on in a year. There is, there's not going to be the same type of content. There will be shifts in design. It will be different. And I would just check in back with them and do that a couple of times and then just send the email and say, we're really sorry that, you know, this is not the right time for you, clearly. Um, How about you connect with us on socials, right? Don't lose the connection point. Create create another touch point if they haven't acted upon any of your other three email, two emails and then leave it be and just think about they will come back when they're ready and just and trust that that users really know what they want and now that same principle applies for me to be to be because that will just be a shorter period but there just be aware of how many purchases are normal for your average customer and don't overwhelm them i mean paul gave the idea uh, the the example earlier having bought from somebody and then being just bombarded by 10 post purchase emails so um look at it in as a whole but I would just start really simply. Any of the workflows, start them super simple. Don't go into minute segmentation right from the get-go. Just start uh, somewhere and then learn from what you get out of it. Sorry, Marat, were you going to say something then? No, I was I was just going to agree. I think what is the beauty about uh, email sending platforms automation is that we can learn. It is a live 
uh, A-B test, essentially, uh, and whether that is a literal A-B test between two of the same email or actually just learning and making amends as we go along. I can't I can't tell you the amount of times I like I recommend um, the Kaizen model to my clients, plan, do, review, improve. Having email sending platforms makes that so easy. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess the next question, and I've changed it slightly to the ones that we sent over, um, just to keep you on your toes. Um, so essentially, uh, most most of the kind of e-commerce brands out there will send a welcome series, um, and they might have some level of like basic uh, like re-engagement activity, etc., um, set up via flows. Um, what other forms of automated campaigns and triggered campaigns do you find perform best? So be it like abandoned browse or yeah, anything else. Like what what others have you seen perform well for your e-commerce clients? Do you want to go or is this a me question? Is it me? Okay. Um, so uh, I'll I have a couple that might sound quite familiar. Uh, things like a birthday flow or a special event flow. How long have you been a customer? How often have you repurchased? Uh, something to celebrate. Again, it makes it very conversational. It makes it, um, the customer feel way more engaged and uh, really helps helps with that, with the good feeling, basically. <laughs> um, another one that I would say, even though uh, this might not be necessarily specific to e-commerce, but internal workflows. So making sure that, for example, when a client stops engaging, something happens internally, whether that is an in, for maybe more logical for B2B, uh, having an email to go, hey, these people haven't engaged with us, or for B2C, creating a segment of a, or a list to say, these people haven't purchased for over three months. They haven't engaged with our last five marketing emails. Um, I think that is a sort of, secret area of automation that a lot of companies haven't picked up on is actually internally automating. That makes sense. Sarah, do you want to add anything to that? I agree with everything Marette said, especially in terms of the internal email automations. I think there can be a lot of smart things be done with that um, to help out um, business at large. I think email automation can help internally as well as externally. I think one of the nice things to do every now and then is also if you have loyalty candidates um, or loyal, not not loyalty candidates, that's not what it's called. If you've got like a loyalty scheme, um, just remind them that they have points. That's a really nice email and maybe what they could buy with those points based on previous purchases. So working on dynamic content in emails and using that to segment actually within one email, several sort of of your um, customer groups is a really smart way of working. And that actually entices people to buy. If you would probably give me one of those for something and you would tell me to buy men's aftershave, I have never bought men's aftershave. I'm unlikely to purchase it. So please don't put it into an email to me. So just make sure that those sort of suggestions are, you know, well thought out and feel really personal to the customer and that will entice more buys. So that's a really easy win. Um, you know, a trigger based on their loyalty points uh, threshold and uh, let it trigger and um, just add in the newest 
offers and and just let that go <laughs> off in the in the wild and see what comes back that makes sense um another question that's slightly off piece um but i think it's a really important one so every email platform i speak to at the moment is completely obsessed with sms marketing um and in the us you know it's a really important marketing channel for a lot of businesses and it's gradually getting bigger here where does that fit into the mix for the average e-commerce business that you work with that is really interesting I, this is something that i've i've really noticed it is something that is uh, jumped over from the us and it is something that we've seen grow bigger and bigger in the us over the last certainly over the last couple of years um i don't think it's that big in the uk yet but i have seen uh campaigns of my clients, which I have to be honest, I didn't run myself, <laughs> but I have seen the results of those campaigns. And um, again, I think it de- it depends on your audience. I think in the US, people are very open to getting texts. It is, I feel like in the UK and in Europe, it is so much more common to have WhatsApp, have Signal, have other uh, messaging sending platforms that actually getting a text is like, well, are you the government or are you my bank? Um, so it is, it isn't, I am not seeing it as very common practice in the UK yet, but I'm really interested in seeing how it is going to grow. Have you received any, Paul or James? I um so yeah I've received the the one the only one so I get dominoes which um I try to not interact with um too often uh the big one that I've actually to be fair and so the only time <laughs> I've ever used it has been when I've been offered a discount or this big promotion so patch was one that I used um, oh yeah but we've got some clients where they're making loads of money so uh the bottle club is one uh fairfax and favor it's a big channel for um i've been really surprised by it and it came out of nowhere and i remember when like, i spoke to so many esp companies and maybe 18 months ago they were like sms going to take over um mm-hmm. i didn't believe any of it but i've actually yeah. been really surprised at how bigger channel it, i mean like our average client is probably more of a premium brand they don't want to touch it they don't want to go anywhere near it but mm-hmm. like got a few where it's actually and I think in most cases it's been amplifying a sale or a promotion um, yeah so agree been quite a good channel and I think it's probably just it's more cluttered less cluttered I guess definitely yeah there's not as much happening um but it's interesting what you said because yeah I would I would definitely see it as an additional channel it's something that Sarah and I talk about a lot like we think email marketing is great we know that it has a massive ROI of like 46 47 dollars to the dollar spent but it's not the only channel channels should work together in a way that works for your audience um so yeah i yeah i've i've been sort of keeping an eye on sms marketing but the main thing that i find really interesting is that i work with a few e-commerce specific email sending platforms which also include sms but it does seem like um like for example, Clavio. If I I don't know if I can name names, but uh, you know they uh, they are fantastic for for e-commerce email marketing because they do a lot uh, with behavior behavior metrics and so on. Um, but at the moment, from what I can see, it is actually the separate SMS. Uh, sending platforms that are performing and offering way better automation and options than 
email sending platforms who are also offering SMS? I think um, most of our clients tend to use Attentive or Postscript. And I think a lot of yep. them start off with the ones that like Yotpo have SMS bump, uh, Clavio. I don't know how they did theirs, whether they bought or um, white labeled or whatever. But I think a lot of people start there and then end up maybe progressing into some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was just looking, I wasn't ignoring you guys. I was looking on my phone, the last few SMS sort of marketing pushes I got were actually for Black Friday. And I haven't heard from those brands since. So I think there needs to be some learning there as well. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think what you said, Marat, resonates with, with people I've seen use it well. Are things like subscriptions where it's a, hey, don't forget your latest subscriptions coming tomorrow, Friday. Yeah. It's a really nice Absolutely. way to reinforce a transactional thing. Um, and it can be used tactically as well as, hey, your, you know, your subscription holidays ending next week. Don't forget. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I've not I've not seen very many good marketing. I've seen premium brands use WhatsApp really nicely for for VIP audience messaging and hmm. comms. But interesting. Um, question now on we've talked about technology platforms and you mentioned some of the features you liked earlier. I'd love to hear from both of you. How should, when an e-commerce team is selecting uh, an email marketing platform, what do they need to look out for? What are the common th- things where you s- see people missing details and, and picking platforms that aren't maybe fit for purpose? Like, any advice for people on that? How how do they pick? There's so many technology vendors out there these days. Put your money where your mouth is. That is what I'm going to give as a, as, that's so awful. Can you imagine if you're in like a new business? But it is it is true. It is an investment that you're making. And that investment can go really wrong if you invest in the wrong platform. Uh, I'll be nice and not name names, but there's definitely email sending platforms that are not that expensive to use and get involved with that are awful to work with from an e-commerce point of view, it, they're clunky with the different, um, you know, e-commerce CMSs. The way that you can make changes to them are clunky. And I think before deciding as a business, you need to make sure what is important to you. Yeah. Because it doesn't mean that the most expensive option is the right option for you. Not at all. But if you find it really important to understand how long someone has had something in their basket and they've left the website without purchasing and you want to be able to follow up on that, then you need to have a, set, a, a platform which can do that. Yeah. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to speak for the marketers there. Um, I think more and more marketers are on a high, uh, on more and more, under more and more pressure to achieve and deliver for separate teams in a bigger business and they might just be a smaller smaller team two people maybe you know not every brand can afford 15 people uh, in a marketing team and uh, we're talking about automation and other sort of extras or bonus things that people sometimes see that they, they can actually be essential for a marketer to be able to do their job really quick well and succinct and instead of pouring hundreds of hours of black you know admin hours basically into making things work and patching it up um why not invest in a smart solution that is designed around your team's needs as well so not just the business needs the business needs will always be there but actually there's humans 
that create those emails. And by giving them a tech stack that works and works well and has the support they need, you are actually going to, in the end, make more money off it because you don't have a team there trying to, you know, make things work manically uh, whilst the pressure is amounting on them. Just, just think of the people as well, I think. Yeah, I think that time to execute is such a good point because I saw one project where the the budget was decided by the IT team and they didn't sign off on a tool which would give the the proper visual editing so a business team was suddenly handed an html editor and they're not htmlers so they couldn't edit the code properly to create response it's like well hang on a minute so you now got to go such a good example james oh it's so frustrating right you suddenly you get an email marketer who's like well I can't send this campaign until I've got a developer to make these changes. Developers got no resource to next week. The campaign's going out on Friday. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think, I think it's just not worth it in a way money is money should be, obviously it's important, but it should be seen in the context of your business. Actually how much you lose out in the end is far greater than spending an extra couple of hundred dollars a month on something right you just really have to see that and I feel like that's across businesses in all sorts of departments that we need to start thinking about this time to execute as you said and helping people work smarter because this whole you know work hard play hard we know doesn't really work it doesn't work for people it's never worked and in in technology and when it doesn't work it really manifests itself really visibly yeah yeah agreed yeah I think that's good the value proposition is is what what is the opportunity cost of not paying for uh, a certain capability and yeah. that lost time or, or slowness, et cetera. Yeah, that's nice. Um, one final question for you both. Um, love to, lo- personally, I'd love to hear, but also for our audience, Inbox Heroes podcast, I know you've got plans for the year. Where is it going? What sort of things are you going to be talking about? And how do people listen to it? Oh, dun, dun, dun. Well, actually, <laughs> me making that noise one thing that we would like mm-hmm. is intro music <laughs> it would be amazing it's on our that list is, that's on the list um i mean sarah besides world domination um anything um, just else just the usual world domi- dom- uh, domination bringing down the patriarchy um you know equality <laughs> for all um closing the hunger gap and the wealth gaps no no wait um i think um i think we've been really enjoying the project. So for both of us, this is something that is just ours. Um, I'm sure you guys feel the same in a way with replatforming your po- podcast. It just feels like time to learn, time to to sort of dig into topics um, completely sort of free from any client work, anything we do in other areas of our lives. And we're just learning. So the fact that, you know, we just press record and just see where the episode takes us. You get just uncut Sarah and Marette craziness. And that's what I can I can promise you. But we've got lots of ideas and we're looking forward to just this year really seeing where we want to land with stuff. Uh, there is We've got four episodes out. Um, you can yep. catch us on any podcasting platform, on YouTube as well, or at inbox-heroes.com where you have got notes and you can look at some of our um, sort of most favourite emails, etc. So there's like a little knowledge hub we're building up. Slowly, but surely. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, that is really what what we said we wanted at the start of this project is it is like a little playground. 
So the website is built on Notion, uh, which is new to us both, and we still get baffled by it all the time. Um, but it works, and it's there. Um, it helps us uh, pay attention, really. So if we see great or awful examples, we do make sure that we take screenshots of it. Um, but really, I think, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, what we want to do is essentially have fun, learn on the job, and we have... a. Th- a list of about 10 topics that we've got ready that we just need to start recording. Oh, come on, give us a teaser. What will be the the, the next topic? You, um, or an example of a topic that's coming up. An example of a topic. Oh, yeah, actually, my suggest from earlier in the episode, my suggestion about killing off Im- image-only emails is actually going to be an episode where we will show you examples and just why this needs to die. It'll be my like proclamation, I think, our proclamation about about how awful image-only emails are. Um, I do believe that we actually have an episode name for that already, which is simply image-only emails suck. (laughs) (laughs) I like it, succinct and to the point. Um, (laughs) So yeah, so anybody who wants to learn more um, about specific topic areas in email marketing, do give the podcast a listen. Um, uh, I found it useful. I I like the one on on preference centres. It's good to refresh my own knowledge. Um, but look, Marit, Sarah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. How, how was the experience? Are you traumatised or you're okay? Just about hanging on, James. Just no, thank- no, it's great. It's been fun. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. Um, <laughs> before we started recording, Sarah said, and it's so true, and definitely this is should be our tagline for, for Inbox Heroes, is we are a bit gung-ho. So it's been really nice to actually follow, <laughs> follow some structure, have people ask questions. Um, that we can give a thoughtful response to. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, it's been great. Cool. Thanks for taking the time. And thanks for everyone, uh, as always, for listening. Keep your ears open for our next episode. We release one every week, uh, mainly on Tuesdays. Let us know of any topics you like to cover and tell us why. And do subscribe if you haven't already. Um, and yeah, look forward to catching up with everyone next week. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.